This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, California's voter-established stem cell agency, is thinking about its future. The Institute recently issued a strategic plan for the next five years that it says represents a radical overhaul of the way the Institute conducts business and emphasizes coordination, speed, partnerships, and patience. We spoke to Randy Mills, president of the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, about the strategic plan the ambitious goals it's set for the next five years, and whether CIRM will have a life beyond the $3 billion voters approved for its funding. Randy, thanks for joining us. Thank you uh, for having me. The California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, California's stem cell agency, recently issued a strategic plan for 2016 and beyond. This is the voter-established stem cell agency that was funded with a $3 billion commitment through the passage of Proposition 71 in 2004. Perhaps you can begin by reminding listeners as to what led to the creation of CIRM, what was the environment at the time for stem cell research, and, and how unusual an experiment this was. Yeah, it, 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 it certainly is a very unusual thing and unique to the state of California. So CIRM was, um, uh, came about into existence through the passage of something called Proposition 71, which was a, a direct ballot measure passed by the people of California back in uh, 2004 when there were federal restrictions on the funding of certain kinds of stem cell research. Um, since that time, uh, CIRM has uh, developed and grown to be really the world's leading stem cell agency. Uh, we have over 300 technologies uh, in our portfolio that we're actively um, uh, advancing uh, right now, including uh, 15 in clinical trials. Um, and uh, really, the most important thing to, to know about CIRM is that, that everything we do here centers around uh, bringing treatments to unmet medical needs uh, for the people of California. Well, we're talking about what's a new area of science where conventional therapies can take 10 to 15 years to make it to market. Much of CIRM's early work was focused on building the infrastructure to do stem cell research, but it is pushed beyond discovery to fund translational research and, and clinical trials. Can you highlight some of the accomplishments of the Institute to date? Well, you know, the, the first thing... Um, that I think CIRM did very well was build in that infrastructure, as you mentioned, to allow 
for stem cell research to really get a strong foothold in the state of California. We have uh, um, research facilities throughout the state of California that CIRM uh, uh, significantly supported, and that's allowed for academic investigators uh, of all varieties to enter this, this brand new field of stem cell research. And without that, we wouldn't have the strong foundation that we have today. From that, we've been able to build, as you mentioned, translational programs and, that, and, and now an ever-accelerating um, portfolio of, of clinical stage programs. And so uh, we have uh, about 70 projects in the translational stage, and as I said, 15 that are already in clinical trials. And as laid out in our strategic plan, um, uh, we intend to take that number of clinical trials over the next five years from 15 up to 65. So we're at a, a full 50 new clinical trials uh, to our portfolio. Well, how, how has the field progressed? What do you see as the, the major obstacles in bringing stem cell-based therapies to patients? Well, the field has pro- progressed, um, I would say, in a word, responsibly. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of interest in stem cell research because of the ability for stem cells uh, to potentially treat and cure diseases that conventional medicine is currently unable to address. But with that kind of interest and, and hype surrounding the technology also comes the responsibility that we don't uh, rush into anything too quickly that could ultimately harm patients. And so... Um, from a patient's perspective, uh, I understand it's a, it's a very painful uh, process uh, to watch the, the drug development and stem cell uh, development process uh, play out when, when your, your condition or your loved one's condition is so urgent. Um, but, but not doing these early pieces in a responsible manner could, could have set the field back uh, with uh, irreparable harm. Well, the strategic plan lays out what it calls a radical overhaul of the way the Institute conducts business that places added emphasis on coordination, speed, partnerships, and patience. Can you explain? Yeah. So in the early days, um, uh, when when CIRM was started and through its first several years, uh, there wasn't critical mass in any particular area, discovery, translation, or clinical to allow for what we would call a systematic approach. Um, uh, and so what would happen is we would, we would issue, um, we would issue uh, requests for funding proposals on a, basically on a one-off basis. And this, if you wanted to think about it from an analogy standpoint, it would be like chartering flights. Uh, once you had enough people that wanted to go someplace, you might charter a flight to that destination. And that's how CERN operated for a while. What we, what we were successful in doing, though, at CERM was creating this infrastructure and creating this base in such a way that the number of people arriving at the airport for these chartered flights grew and grew and grew exponentially. And so what we were able to make the leap uh, here in the strategic plan and with what we call CERM 2.0 is going to this system, systems-based approach, which isn't uh, one-off chartered flights, but instead regularly scheduled service to all of the destinations that we want to go. And so, uh, you know, just as an example, we, we uh, historically, uh, it might have, uh, uh, we might have only offered 
uh, one or two funding opportunities for clinical trials a year. We now offer them continuously. We literally will will review clinical trial applications every single uh, month. And what that's done is that shortens the time, uh, the cycle times that it takes in order for us to make funding decisions. Uh, from from the, the previous, where it might be up to uh, uh, 22 months or so, down now to uh, an average, uh, which is less than four months. Uh, and so that's all part of our mission. If you go back to our if you go back to our mission, we're here to accelerate stem cell treatments to patients with unmet medical needs. That places CERM squarely in the time business. And so uh, we need to do everything we can do from our end to be as efficient and time-sensitive uh, as, as, as possible. Well, you used the term uh, systems approach a moment ago. You're, you're also moving from what's been described as an initiative-based approach to a systems approach. How is this going to change the way CIRM operates? Well, what, we, what we're really looking to do in this systems-based approach is to have seamless flow from discovery through translation into clinical. So we've We've set these. Uh, we've set this system up as a re- basically a recurring, predictable um, uh, process that investigators know is there, will be there, uh, and they 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 don't have to worry uh, about um, when they're ready to, to to take the next step. Is CERM going to be? Uh, is CERM going to have a program available for them? And so we've mapped out this in, entire program from the earliest stages of research through translational research and into the clinical trials. And we've done it so, in, a, in a way where there's overlap between each step. And the purpose for that overlap is so that, uh, that a program, a project, can go from discovery into translation and not have to stop uh, in between those two uh, and put the program on hold and risk losing the team and momentum and, and also uh, uh, and also losing time um, in, in that process. But instead, because there's overlap between, they can just move seamlessly from one to the next to the next. And it's all in an attempt for us to be as efficient and time-sensitive as we possibly can be. Because we know there are challenges that the researchers face um, that, that just simply do take time. And, and so we, we need to be as creative as we can be in, in finding ways to accelerate the process without damaging or in any way compromising the integrity and quality of research that's being done. You know, the plan also talks about strategic themes of push and pull and level. Uh, I was hoping you could walk us through the push, pull, and, and level part of the plan. Sure. I'd love to. Actually, it's a, the, the three thematic elements uh, of our strategic plan are push, pull, and level with the idea of this sort of being an easy, e- easy concept so people can remember and stay focused throughout it. So, what we can, uh, the uh, sort of the analogy that you can imagine in your mind, what we're trying to do at CERM is move this, this giant boulder, which are stem cell therapies, over a mountain uh, into a valley where the patients are uh, uh, below. And as we do that, one of the things that we've historically always done at CERM are basically pushing activities. And so these are things like funding great research, um, all of our initiatives, uh, that, that, that center around, um, helping investigators move from one stage to the next, our Alpha Clinics initiative and all of those types of activities. We refer to those internally as pushing activities. That's CIRM alone pushing on this boulder. But the other thing that we noticed, and, and so the first part of our strategy is simply to do that better 
um, something we call operational excellence inside CERM. So we want to get great at, 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 at pushing. But the other things that we've noticed was there's really not enough people on the other side of this hill pulling uh, on this boulder. And that, that is, that is evidenced by the lack of industry interest here. So these therapies uh, aren't, we're not doing this just as an exercise for a science experiment. Our goal, our mission centers around bringing these therapies actually all the way to patients. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to be successful and we're going to get them to patients, it requires us to have industry involvement. Industry are the ones who ultimately take things through the latter stage of the clinical trial through FDA registration and ultimately on to, to commercialization so we can treat populations of people, and that's our goal. And so the, the, the pull aspect of, of this strategic theme is we need to find ways of engaging more industry interest in stem cell research and uh, in, uh, in helping us uh, as we push and as the academic institutions push really hard on this boulder that there are there's corporate uh, and industry uh, interest in helping us pull this boulder uh, across because if we can do that this will this will this process will will go much faster and much smoother and then the last piece we looked at centered around what we call level and that's basically the size of the mountain is just is disproportionately large and so the regulatory paradigm um, that we have currently in the United States uh, has been in place for 15 years. And zero, not one thing, has been able to get through that regulatory paradigm from a stem cell perspective. And and that's, from our standpoint, that's, that's unacceptable. And it's, and it's not just that, that that nothing's gotten through in 15 years. There's nothing close to getting through that process um, right now after 15 and, and what will probably end up being at least 20 years of clinical development. And so it's time for us to work with FDA and with Congress and, and uh, with other stakeholders to say, w- what about this process can we do to be more efficient? What about can we do to be better? Uh, we reject outright the notion that the regulatory process in itself has to take 15 or 20 years um, uh, to develop a, a therapy. We think we think it can be done um, in a in, in a safe and responsible manner, but in a more efficient manner. And other countries have already picked up on this. And so we're actually, um, with regards to this leveling the playing field around regenerative medicine cell therapy, we're actually now um, not in a position of leading. We're actually in a position of following. So Japan actually enacted this uh, uh, kind of uh, regulatory uh, paradigm change for regenerative medicine in 2014. The European countries are, are pretty far along the process in, in, in adapting that too. Uh, and we just need to, to make sure that we stay uh, current with that here in the United States. And so um, those are those are the three parts to our strategic plan. Push, uh, do everything we can to be operationally excellent so we can have that boulder moving as quickly over that hill as possible. Pull, get industry involvement and downstream involvement to help uh, take some of the load off and then level work with FDA and other stakeholders uh, to come up with a more efficient regulatory pathway that still accomplishes all the goals of, of ensuring safety and efficacy, but does so in a manner that uh, doesn't doesn't take 15 or 20 years and doesn't cost $2 billion per product. The plan doesn't only speak in these kind of broad, abstract ideas, but it lays out some ambitious goals for the next five years, including the introduction of 50 new therapeutic or device candidates into development, and cutting in half the time it takes to move an experimental therapy from discovery to the clinic. 
as people judge the success of CIRM, do you think this will be used to measure your success or will the initial expectation of voters be used to, to evaluate your success? Well, we certainly are going to use it to evaluate our success. Um, we were very explicit uh, in the results section of the strategic plan because you get what you measure. Uh, and if you're not willing to lay out goals and have them be objective and measurable, then the chances are that you randomly walk into objective good uh, from, from a performance standpoint is pretty low. And so we laid out um, very significant but very clear and, and very objective and measurable goals. Um, they're not, they're, they're, they're challenging to say the least, um, but they don't require a suspension of the laws of, of of physics in order to obtain them. And so we have to stay focused on on accomplishing these goals. Um, we have to be very efficient. We have to be very creative uh, in what we do. And ultimately, we will know. We will be judged, as we should, on whether or not we have successfully achieved or, or not. Now, the nice thing is we'll be able to, uh, on these goals, we'll be able to measure along the way. This just won't be something that in 2020 we'll basically, you know, uh, open an envelope and see whether or not we've accomplished this. Um, but one of the parts of the strategic plan just after the expected results in 2020 were all of the different things internally that we monitor to make sure that we're on course uh, to, to accomplish these goals. And so... Um, we, we've set in place a very uh, a very sophisticated system of, of of measuring all of the parameters we need to measure to make sure we we hit these what we call the big six the six major goals um, at the end. And I completely expect that we're going to run into challenges along the way, and we're going to run into things that aren't working the way we hoped. Um, and uh, we will uh, you know look them uh, squarely uh, in the eye and take the appropriate steps we need to to correct them to get back on course. But um, what's not up for de uh, a, a debate or, 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 I should say, alteration are the major goals at the end. We've laid these goals out, and it's our intent to uh, to meet or exceed them. Oh, the agency was expected to be funded for 10 years. Uh, that would have taken us to about 2016. How much funding does it have left to continue its mission? And do you expect the Institute to have a life beyond its initial funding commitment? If so, is this going to come from the state, from from the federal government, private industry, philanthropy? Yeah, so we have about um, about nine hundred million dollars uh, uh, left in order to issue new awards out uh, for and over the uh, that. So that's from now through uh, uh, twenty twenty. With regards. To, with regards to whether or not CERM continues to exist, from my perspective and my standpoint, the, the, what I'm interested in doing uh, is 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 not jumping into a debate on 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 or a campaign, I should say, uh, to to promote CERM's existence. Instead, what I'm focusing on and what we're focusing on internally and operationally at the agency is to lay out a very clear value proposition for the organization. So if we can be objectively successful and we can accomplish these goals and we can demonstrate that we're, we are significantly decreasing the time it takes to develop these therapies, and if we can move therapies from, from one stage of development to the next and get them to clinic and, and, and eventually have them approved product, 
those things will all be completely clear and objective and measurable. And so the people of California and the legislature of California and all other interested parties can then look at that and say, okay, we now understand very clearly what the value proposition for CERM is, and then we can just make a decision on whether or not that's something we want to continue. But, but right now, we are focused like a laser on performance, not campaigning. And so our job, our goal, people of California's expectation for us is to deliver on the on, on, on the commitments uh, that, that we made back in, in 2004, and, and that is flat out what we're going to do. Well, what do you see as the biggest risk or, or challenges for CIRM having a, a future beyond its initial funding? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I think um, from, a, from a risk standpoint, uh, CIRM's, CIRM's, whether or not CIRM is effective or not, there are actually several risks we lay out in our, in our strategic plan um, in, in actually some great detail, all of the different risks we face. Probably the single biggest risk we have to ultimately being successful, which then you know, should translate somewhat into whether or not uh, CIRM is, is continued or not, centers around the ability for us to actually attract and drive through a sufficient number of high-quality programs. And so we've laid out, as, as you've mentioned in the metrics, some, some very lofty uh, numbers that we need to hit. One of the things we can't do in order to achieve those numbers is lower our standards. So our standards have to remain high, and we've put in a number of, 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 of checks and balances to make sure that, that the quality of the work that we're doing doesn't get affected um, by the need to drive these 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 very high numbers, and then so there just leads into the risk is can we find can we attract are there a sufficient number of high quality programs out there particularly high quality clinical stage programs out there for us uh, in, in the stem cell field for us to be able to accomplish these goals we think there are otherwise we wouldn't have uh, put the uh, put the stake in the ground like we did but but far and away that's that's our biggest risk, and it would be naive for us to, to not uh, acknowledge that. Randy Mills, president of the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Randy, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.